Amen. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41, if you would. Genesis chapter 41. And as you're turning there, a smuggler meets up with a client, and he has a paper towel on his head. The client looks at him, and he asks, what's with the paper towel? The smuggler says, ah, I've got a bounty on me head. Got a bounty on me head, hardly. I don't know. See? I have many backups. Amen. It's the brain that's going. Last week, we left off with Joseph still in prison. He'd been abandoned, and he'd been forgotten by Pharaoh's chief butler. He felt betrayed. He felt forsaken. Now, keep this in consideration. Joseph had now been a slave in Egypt for 13 years. Think about that. More than half his life, he'd been a slave in Egypt. His family, given him up for dead. He'd suffered and endured more than most of us. Falsely accused of assault, imprisoned, forgotten by a friend. He's gone through a lot. And in all these hardships, we can't lose sight of the fact that God has been faithful. He never once left Joseph's side. His plan was in the works and was now starting to come to fruition. Joseph's freedom is right on the doorstep. Amen? And not just freedom, but God has a very, very special, unexpected blessing for this young man's faithfulness. Through Joseph's example we ought to be encouraged to trust God in all of our darkest moments, to trust him even in the most difficult times of waiting. You know, we, we start to get antsy if we have to wait a week, amen, a month. A year seems like an eternity. But this young man, he has been waiting for God's deliverance for 13 years. Amen? And we have to keep that in perspective. Let's start reading Genesis 41, uh, right at verse 1. Then it came to pass, at the end of two full years, that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking cows, uh, fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. Then he slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east winds, uh, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. 
So Pharaoh woke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us. So it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of, uh, of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly uh, as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered thin, and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore... Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them, all, let them uh, gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh 
and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in, in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. A lot of stuff going on, amen? A lot of changes about to happen in the life of this young man, Joseph. And the first thing I want us to consider is God's promises after the problems, amen? God's promises after the problems. A born-again believer ought to be really, I mean, exceedingly appreciative of God's promises. Amen? As a born-again believer, we have to appreciate God's promises. Now, we think about a promise today. In today's society, a promise has very little value to it, doesn't it? We're given so many empty promises that we've almost become numb to them, just to be honest. People promise to do this or to do that, but they never come through. People will look you straight in the eyes and say, I'll be there, and they never show up. We've, become, we've, we've gotten to the point in our society that we've pretty much become desensitized to a promise, haven't we? But I want everyone to understand that there is a place where a promise is still a promise. Where a promise is never broken and will always and forever be honored. Where a promise is an absolute, where a promise is a 100% guaranteed sure thing. And that place is right here. Amen? Where a promise is still a promise and will always and forever be honored in God's word. Amen? Every promise that God has ever issued, right here, and this book is full of them. Every single promise that God has ever issued in his word has come to pass or will shortly come to pass because it was a future prophecy. Amen? 100% guaranteed every promise has come to pass. Amen? But some of the greatest promises of God, in my opinion are those that offer blessings after our hardships. Amen? Those promises that offer blessings after we've gone through all those trials. Those that offer blessings for enduring our tests of faith. Amen? 
And for me, as, as I've studied the Word of God for many, many years, for me, there's, there's really two that, that stand out from the rest. And the first is found in Job chapter 23. If you turn your Bibles to Job chapter 23, we think of Job. Job was a man that was battered and beaten down and bruised physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Amen? Job went through it. Job suffered the loss of all ten of his children. Every single one of them, all ten. He lost his home. He lost his livelihood. And he lost his health. Listen as Job replies to God. Verse 1. Then Job answered and said, Even today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, talking about God, that I might come to his seat. Job wanted to find God and just walk right up to him. Verse 4. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Job is saying, look, I would find God, I would walk right up to him, and I would plead my case of innocence. I've been a faithful servant of him, and yet all these things are happening in my life. All these things are happening to me and my family. Verse 5. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. What Job is saying, he said, look, when I finally would be able to do this, when I'd finally be able to stand face to face with God, he would answer all my questions. All those whys. Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to my family? Job is saying, if I had that opportunity, God would give me all those answers. Verse 6. Would he contend with me in his great power? No. But he would take note of me. There the upright could reason with him. And I would be delivered forever from my judge. Job was saying God would never shut up the mouth of one of his servants. But he would always lend a compassionate, loving ear. So Job gives us all the problems that he's enduring. Now let's see the the promise after the problems. Verse 8. Job says, look, I go forward, but God is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But God knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as what? Gold. Amen. Do you see that there? The key is right there in verse 10. Job says, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as 
gold. This is speaking of the refining process, the, the, the refining process of gold, the refiner of gold. We're very familiar with that in the Old Testament. If you read through the Old Testament, you see the refiner's fire over and over and over. The gold refining process and the process of refining a precious metal. And that's exactly what Job is uh, referencing here. Refining gold is a process that's very long and it's very painstaking. There are no shortcuts. There are no get-rich-quick schemes when refining gold. For the born-again believer, our trials, our hardship, those heartaches that we endure, we need to understand that that is gold in the process. Amen? That is gold in the making. When God allows us to go through life's, you know, life's raging fires, that is the refiner's fire. When he allows us to go through those trials, those fiery trials, he is removing all the impurities out of us. Amen? When that refiner, he cranks that heat up in that furnace as hot as it'll go, and then he puts in that precious metal. And what happens is that gold will melt. And if there are any impurities in that gold, they do what? They just rise to the surface, and what does the refiner do? He just scoops them right off. And what's left? Pure gold. Amen? And God does that same process with us when we're going through the the fiery trials of life. And once that refining process is completed... What's left in us is just pure gold, valuable and precious in his almighty sight. Amen? That's what we have to understand. We, we have to continue to look in the, in the right perspective. The second is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, skip down to verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter is is, setting up the, the idea here that here's the problems, here's the trials, here's all the heartaches, the struggles that believers go through. He's setting this scenario up. First, we have all these trials, these tests that God allows us to go through. Now let's see that that promise after the problems. Skip down to verse 7. End of verse 6, he says, You have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, yet you love, 
Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Peter is telling us here, he says, look, after we endure these fiery trials, God is going to do four things in our lives. Number one, he is going to perfect us. He's getting all those impurities out. Secondly, he's going to establish us. Amen? We are established into his family. Thirdly, he's going to strengthen us. Amen? He's going to strengthen our faith. He's going to strengthen our reserve. And lastly, he is going to confirm us. And listen, when we are confirmed by Almighty God, we are stamped with his approval. Nobody can change that. Amen? not even ourselves. These are the things that God does for us when we endure, when we go through these fiery trials. And once we come out on the other side, once we come through these trials and testings, we will come forth. We will come out with more value, more integrity, and of a greater character. Amen? of a greater Christian character. What is the purpose? God is allowing us to go through these fiery trials to make us more Christ-like. Amen? That's the whole point of it, to make us more like Christ, more pure, and with a more loving heart. Amen? A more loving heart. We have to learn to accept God's plan for our lives. We have to learn to accept those promises after the problems. Amen? Learn to understand and accept those trials that God has allowed in our life for a purpose, for a reason. God is preparing us for something much greater. Amen? Something much, much greater. Now, we think about these truths. They, they actually provide the perfect backdrop for our message in, in Genesis chapter 41. As we're studying the, the life of Joseph, as we're going on this journey with Joseph, this, these truths provide the perfect drap, uh, backdrop now, it's a somber, and, and it's a, quite a painful backdrop, one filled with a lot of disappointments, one filled with a lot of rejection, and a whole lot of loneliness, amen? But those, that's the promises before the problems. Now, let's consider God's perfecting after the problems, Amen? In chapter 40, you know, we saw Joseph's human side. Up, up to that point, 
Joseph had done everything perfect. Every decision, every statement, every action was textbook Christian. Amen? It seemed like he had the Christian handbook and and he read the problem and, and he responded with the perfect answer. It's not really what happened. It was just his character. Amen? You know, his father, Jacob, had a, he had a lot of problems, right? And we, we went through and we, we pointed out and we saw all the problems. But one thing he did right, he raised Joseph to know Almighty God, amen, and to know his word. And Joseph kept that in his heart. And we saw how in a moment of despair, his faith faltered. He momentarily put his trust in Pharaoh, in the king's cupbearer. He begged the cupbearer, he said, look, when Pharaoh restores you back to your position, just do me this one favor. Just remember me down here in this dungeon, right? J-O-S-E-P-H, me, Joseph, remember me. But unfortunately, chapter 40 ended with these words. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This same man, the cupbearer, who was so distraught about his dream, this same one that Joseph went to him, saw him upset, and asked him, Look, what's wrong? listened to his dream, and Joseph took the time to interpret that dream. And not only did he interpret the dream, but he comforted him and assured him that he would be restored, released and pardoned, restored back to his original position. And all he asked was, just remember me. That's it. Just remember me. And everything happened exactly as Joseph said it would. But the cupbearer promptly forgets Joseph, doesn't he? Forgets him. Not just for a day or two days or a week or even a month. How long? Two full years, the Bible tells us. Why? We have to understand that there's a much greater process going on behind the scenes. Amen? God erased Joseph from the memory of that cupbearer for a reason. God was not finished refining this young man, Joseph. God had a monumental plan for Joseph. A massive plan. A plan greater than even Joseph could ever fathom. And Joseph was not quite spiritually ready to handle it at that point. Amen? His heart was not quite pure enough for what was about to take place. For what God was calling him to do. Listen. We've all felt or or we've all been forgotten, haven't we? We've all been forsaken by somebody. We can all relate to to what happened to Joseph. In fact, Hollywood has made millions of dollars on that fact. Amen? It's cashed in. 
Most of us are very familiar with the Home Alone franchise, aren't we? Remember Macaulay Culkin? He played a, 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 a character named Kevin McAllister, a young boy who was forgotten and left behind by his family as they left on vacation. Home Alone. I mean, this franchise was so successful, they've had, what, like a hundred sequels to that movie? But it was all based on, on someone being forgotten, forsaken. So think about Joseph. What happened to Joseph in those two years? Nothing. On the surface, that is. Amen? He sat in that prison day after day, hours they just turned into days, days turned into months, and before long, those months turned into two long years. On the surface, nothing happened. It was just day after day, just clicked by. It was a long, lonely wait in that nasty dungeon cell. But under the surface, God was quite busy at work. Amen? God was doing a mighty work. His refining fire was forcing out all of those impurities in Joseph. All of those things that shouldn't have been in his life. His faith is getting strengthened. His faith is getting deepened. And this time of waiting, this was a turning point in Joseph's life. For now, he was ready to be remembered. Amen? So we see here in, in chapter 41 that God gives Pharaoh a dream. Right? Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. And in this dream, seven cows, fine-looking and fat, they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven and fine-looking and fat cows. Then Pharaoh had a second dream. Behold, seven thin heads blighted by the east wing sprang up after seven heads of grain came up. So Pharaoh woke, and indeed... It was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Why? Because God gave it, and God was the only one who could interpret it. Amen? That's what we have to understand. God gave Pharaoh these dreams, and it was God and God alone who could interpret it. So, as Pharaoh says this, all of a sudden, the cupbearer's memory is jogged. He says, oh no, I forgot somebody. And then he starts to admit. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, verse 9, saying, I remember my faults this day. And then he goes on to explain how he and the, and the chief baker also had a dream while, while they were imprisoned. When they were put in Pharaoh's prison. 
and they were perplexed. They had no idea what their dreams meant. Verse 12. Then he says, Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Exactly as Joseph had interpreted, it happened. What does Pharaoh do? He immediately sends for Joseph. You see, Pharaoh had called the wisest and the brightest, all the magicians, all the tricksters, all the, you know, anyone who, who, who even had one slight of wisdom. Pharaoh summoned them before him, told them his dream, and nobody could give them an interpretation. Now the cupbearer remembers Joseph, mentions his name, and Pharaoh immediately summons for Joseph. Verse 14. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, or I'm sorry, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and he came to Pharaoh. Why would God put in there that Joseph shaved? Changed his clothes? Well, we have to understand, anyone ever see pictures of ancient Egypt? One thing you'll see is that all the Egyptians were what? Cleanly shaven, right? They didn't allow stubble to grow on the sides. They were very cleanly shaven. So Joseph shaved, as the apostle Paul said, when in Rome, act like a what? A Roman, right? Joseph understood he was in Egypt. He was about to stand before Pharaoh. So Joseph shaved. He cleaned himself up, and he prepared himself to stand before the king. Verse 15, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. I want to point out a couple things here real quick. Notice Joseph does not offer one word of resentment, does he? He just sat two long years in prison. He just saw what transpired before Pharaoh. How the cupbearer, two long years, forgot him. And now all of a sudden, remembers him. Not one word of resentment toward the cupbearer for forgetting him all these years. You can clearly see the work that God was doing in the heart of this young man. Joseph came to accept his situation. He came to accept all of the circumstances that got him there, and he purposed in his heart to trust God no matter what. Amen? 
That was the refining work that God was putting him through. And Joseph humbled himself, and he patiently waited for his opportunity to redeem himself. Nope. He waited for the perfect opportunity to glorify God. Amen? That's what he was waiting for. He patiently waiting for the chance to give God all the glory. I don't know about you, but that gives me goosebumps when I see faith like that. Amen? When I see faith put in action like that. Joseph respectfully and humbly, he tells Pharaoh, he says, don't look to me or any other man. Don't bother looking to the stars, but look to the one who created those stars. Amen? Look to the true and living almighty God. He will answer you. He patiently and humbly just waited for that opportunity to give God all the glory. Joseph, he could boldly say that to the most powerful man in the world. Because God had been working deep down inside of that young man's heart. Amen. For the past two years, he'd been stripping away any anger. He'd been stripping away any grudges. He'd been stripping away any resentment that started to form in that young man's heart. Remember, Joseph was human. No doubt, it was there. Amen. Just like any of us, we would have been angry. We would have been full of resentment. We, we would have held a grudge. But for those two years, God was allowing him to go through it so that he could strip those things away from him. And what was left? He left Joseph with a heart of pure gold. Amen? I'm going to point something out. You will not read anywhere in Scripture about any resentment whatsoever in Joseph. From this point moving forward, not one ounce from the age of 33, or from the age of 30, I'm sorry, from the age of 30 that he is here now in, in Genesis 41, until he dies at the age of 110. Nowhere in Scripture will you read anywhere that he had one ounce of resentment left in his heart. Amen. That is God at work. Not against his brothers, not against the cupbearer, not even against Potiphar's wife. That's a hard one to swallow, isn't it? Not one ounce of resentment, even against Potiphar's wife. And we also have to understand something. We have to keep this in mind. all of whom he now ruled over. Verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and wise of you. You shall be over my house, and all of my people shall be ruled according to your 
word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Our human nature would have been immediately whispering in our ear, probably not whispering, probably yelling, here's your chance to get back at every single one of them. Amen? That cupbearer, that selfish guy who was restored to his position and he's been living in the mansion, the king's mansion for two years while you've been suffering in that dungeon. Potiphar and his wife, she falsely accused me of, of, of rape and assault and Potiphar believed her. And now I'm in charge of all of them. But that wasn't Joseph's attitude. You won't read about one ounce of resentment. At all. In this young man. From now until he dies at the age of 110. That is absolutely amazing. And I want you to see the great encouragement that we can find in this young man. Amen.